Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Amen. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Excuse me. Verses 1 through 5 today, that's our focus passage. And I am titling this message, The Inevitability of the Departure of Some. The Inevitability of the Departure of Some. Last week when we gathered, we talked about how the church is the household of God. We understood that that is the prominent uh, theme that God, how God wants us to understand him. God wants to, us to understand him or know him as father. I love that that is a ministry of Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father. His goal is to bring us to the father. And so being in the household of God means that we're family, we're brothers, we're sisters, we have mothers in the faith, we have fathers in the faith. The church is the household of God. The church is also the pillar and the support of the truth. We uphold the truth. We stand in the truth. We live in the truth. And the church is the place where the mystery of godliness, which is Jesus, is magnified. Jesus is the subject of our truth. Jesus is the truth. The Bible says there in, in that hymn that uh, it says that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is to magnify who Jesus is. And then Paul, at the end of that, goes into, well, first let me just declare that, be, that hymn tells us this, that as the household of God, as the pillar and support of the truth, this is the church, as the ones who exalt Jesus, who is the mystery of godliness, we acknowledge as a church that the person and the message of Jesus is our treasure. He's our treasure. He's what we have to give. He's what we have to value. He's what we have to, to uh, what we find worth in and what the reason why we worship the Lord because we have greater revelation of who God is through the Son, amen? So Jesus, the person and the message of Jesus is the treasure of the church. So Paul goes from there, speaking of the qualifications of of the leadership of the church, uh, the two images of what the church is, to then go and explain uh, or speak of the inevitability of the departure of some. Let's read First uh, Timothy chapter four, verses one through five, and then what I want to do is draw three observations from that and build on that, okay? Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. The inevitability of the departure of some. To say that is like, ah, it's heart-wrenching. It's heartbreaking to even have the, the perspective of, you know, some are just bound to depart from the faith. And what I want you to, to know is, is that I think from this passage, this is not a dismissal of <clears throat> those who have been of the faith and who have departed, but I believe that this is as a result of the heartbreak that Paul experienced because of those who were with him and were no longer with him, those who rose from the church in Ephesus, who were teachers, and then who veered off into, in, into things that should not have been taught, that veered off from sound doctrine. And I believe that Paul, sometimes you get the perspective in Scripture that God's like, ah, the heck with them. Who cares? But I would say that when, when Paul says that the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart, this is an answer to his prayers. It may not have been the answer he wanted, but it's an answer to his prayers. So, why do I say that this is the inevitability of the departure of some that Paul brings that? Well, the first thing that I want to bring to your attention is that the Holy Spirit says that some will depart. And like I said, this is an answer to Paul's prayer. The reason I say that is because that statement expressly says. That means that the Holy Spirit has the final say in the matter. That when he speaks this, there is no more argument to be had. When he speaks this, the matter is settled. And so as Paul, as we recognize throughout the, the past, if you've been reading First and Second Timothy, Paul has not been shy in drawing attention to those who have shipwrecked their faith, to those who have abandoned or left them because of being ashamed of him and his chains, right? And so this is all, I believe, a heartbreak for Paul. And so he begins to pray, and the Holy Spirit answers with this prophetic message that some, in the later days, in the later times, some will depart from the faith, I want to just speak on the idea and the truth that the Holy Spirit says this. First of all, I want to just draw to your attention that the voice of the Holy Spirit is essential. He is essential to our lives. He was not meant, as some, some people believe, that he was just, just good enough to give us the Bible, and once we have the Bible, we have no need for him to speak anymore. And that is a fallacy. That is a fallacy. We are in need of the Holy Spirit speaking to us consistently, drawing us to the Son, consistently leading us. Jesus 
said to his disciples, I love John 14 and John 16 because it expounds a lot of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 17, John declares, testifies that Jesus spoke that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And he will speak the truth and not only speak the truth, he's the one who guides us into truth according to John 16, verse 13. The Holy Spirit is also the spirit of sonship. And he will always speak to us our identity, identity, and he will always affirm that we belong. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us all things and brings to remembrance what has been taught. So he's the one who reminds us of what we've learned, of what we've read, of what Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, He reminds us of that. He is also the one, according to John 16, verse 13, who speaks what the Father and Jesus are saying. Jesus says, he will speak to you what is from me and from the Father. Do we need that today? Yeah. Yeah. You and me, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit because we need to know what the Father and what the Son are in agreement saying to us. He also speaks what is to come. The voice of the Spirit is important, important for the leader of, the, of churches. And not just leaders, he's important for your leadership as a husband, your leadership as a wife in your home. The Holy Spirit's voice is important in all of that. I'll just give you an example of just everyday Holy Spirit outworking in your life. On our way back, last week we were on vacation, we went to Long Beach Island, and Saturday is the dreaded day, right, on both ends. Because on the first Saturday you're packing to go, and on the last Saturday, you're packing to come. And those are the dreaded days, right? I don't like those days. But we endure it just for the, the wonderful uh, rest that you get in between the Saturdays. You got it? The anxiety starts ramping up Thursday night, right? Oh, one more day and then, right? Anyways, so while we were packing, right, right now my wife is pregnant. Many of you don't know that because we haven't been in church for too long, right? <laughs> Some of you are going to come back and be like, whoa, there's another baby. Right? How'd that happen? Well, I can explain to you when you're older, right, how that happened. But nonetheless, when, when I was packing up, I was packing the girls' clothes up, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, pack extra clothes for Alicia. Like, set out extra clothes for Alicia. And so I'm like, dismiss that. I'm like, what do I need extra clothes for? We're only an hour and a half away. We're fine, right? It'll be okay. And then, again, I felt the voice of the Holy Spirit say, pack extra clothes for Alicia. And so I'm like, okay, I, I would do it because you said it to me twice. Now I would do it, right, instead of obeying the first time. So I set it up. You, you know, the pockets that are behind the driver's seat and the passenger seat. So I put a uh, shirt and pants right there in the driver's seat, or sorry, the passenger seat. And we get packed in, the car's packed, we load it up, we're on the way home, and we get to like 25 minutes away from home, and all of a sudden we hear a cough and a bleh, 
And in that moment, you know, as a parent, you're, it's already a stressful Saturday. You done packed the car. You're trying to get everybody in. Did you go to the bathroom? Did you drink? Did you have a snack? Do we have everything we need? And in this moment, like that moment has the potential to like throw you off, right? Like just blow, you blow the top off and you could yell and rant and kick the tire as you walk around the car to, to get to that point. So anyways, I pull over and I'm totally at peace. Why am I at peace? I'm at peace because the Lord had already told me to be ready. He gave me the strategy to be ready for this. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I had the strategy. And the good thing is it was just applesauce, so it didn't smell horrible, but it looked horrible. And my wife's like, I don't want to deal with that. You deal with that, please. And I go around, and me and uh, my oldest niece, we, we deal with the matter. But I was prepared. That's an ordinary Holy Spirit leading you, right? And some would chalk that up to be like common sense. But my common sense said, we don't need this. We're only an hour and a half away. Holy Spirit sense said, you need this. You're going to need it. And so as a leader of your family, as a leader of the church, we have the privilege, and whatever leadership you have, you have the privilege as a Christian to be one who hears the voice of the Spirit, who is led by the voice of the Spirit, who is guided by the voice of the Spirit. And it's not always what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And so Paul is giving us a great example of how the prophetic ministry of the Holy Spirit works and also how inspiration of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit works. Prophetic ministry in relation to the ongoing voice of God in your life and in this instance, the inspiration of scripture because he wrote down this letter, the Spirit expressly says. And later on, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we'll see that that every scripture is God-breathed. That is why I say the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is a moment in which we get to see the prophetic ministry and the inspiring of scripture. When Paul says, now the Spirit expressly says. So we have great, uh, we have great need of the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a believer, we have great need of the Holy Spirit's voice in our life as a leader in our homes or wherever you have leadership or wherever you have influence. We as a church, as a people of God, are blessed with this privilege to have the Holy Spirit, not just guaranteeing our inheritance for the future, uh, but ensuring that we have a good quality of relationship with our God. Isn't this great that we have this in the Holy Spirit? Amen. So what we see here is the inevitability because the Holy Spirit says so. Some will depart from the faith. But not only do we get that message, we get what are the influences and what are the choices made in the departing. This is my second point. The departing from the faith is the outcome of supernatural and natural influence as well as individual human choice. 
anyone who departs from the faith, uh, departs from the faith by supernatural influence, by natural influence, and individual human choice. First, that word departing, what does it mean to depart? What does it mean to, 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 that the Holy Spirit is saying some will depart from the faith? Departing is a drawing away, a falling away or a withdrawal from, like I'm going to withdraw. It has that idea of isolating, you know, when you like, I had enough of y'all, I'm going over here. It has that mentality or like, uh, okay, peace, I'm out, right? And that's the, that's the idea that it has. It's, it's a falling away or drawing away. What are, we, what are they departing from? What are some inevitably, what, are, what will some depart from? They will depart from the faith. To say the faith is, is to say that the whole Christian way of believing and the whole Christian way of living is what they withdraw from or distance themselves from. So that's what it is. The whole Christian way of believing and living. Paul says it this way. Later on in verse six, it says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So there's the words of the faith and there are the teachings of the faith. There is a lifestyle of the faith that they no longer want to be a part of for whatever reason. But we see that the departing does not happen uh, just by chance. It happens by influence, and the first influence that we see that Paul writes about is a supernatural influence. What is a supernatural influence? There's two ways he describes it. He says they're deceitful spirits. Excuse me. He says they're deceitful spirits and due to the teachings of demons. Deceitful spirits are ones who mislead and who are actively trying to get others to veer off. It's the constant allure. If you think of like Greek mythology, it's the sirens who are constantly singing and calling out to draw people away from their path. Deceitful spirits. They are directly misleading and actively trying to get others to veer off. What are these, decef- these deceitful spirits? These are, the, I would say, as the scripture says, the spirit of the Antichrist, the ones who are di- diametrically opposed to Jesus, who he is, what he's accomplished. <clears throat> and how do they do this? They do this through teachings. Teachings that Paul calls teachings of demons. And one thing you need to know is that demons have the ability to teach. They have their own set of doctrine. They have their own set of creeds. They have their own set of, uh, of teachings that they want to draw you away from because to teach you is to shape your belief and to shape your belief is to shape your devotion. You understand? I can't say that again because I didn't write that. So you have to look back. I don't even know what I said but I think I said it right. That was from the Holy Spirit. 
to you. So you see that progression, <clears throat> and we see that the, the demons teach anything, it's a different doctrine. The demons are behind, if you look at 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 4, are behind the myths. The demons are behind the endless genealogies, and the demons are also behind the asceticism, the withdrawing from pleasures of life to gain some sort of status of holiness or, or impose upon the work of sanctification that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. I say impose is because these things are not necessary for you becoming like Jesus. So it imposes upon the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit on your lives. One thing you need to know, <clears throat> major implication here, is that no battle, any battle with the truth is a battle with demonic forces. Any battle that you face to stand for and defend the truth that you believe in is a battle against spiritual forces. When Paul writes this, he, he gives us another aspect of spiritual warfare, an aspect that the, the people of, of Ephesus already understood because of Ephesians chapter 6 where he said to them, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of darkness, the powers that be, right? And so to write this is, is, to, is another way for, for Paul and the Holy Spirit to shape our thinking about how we interact with those who are false, who are teaching false doctrines, that we are not dealing with people only, we're dealing with spirits behind that. It's always any battle with, uh, with the truth or for the truth is a battle, a spiritual warfare. It's engaging in spiritual warfare. So there we go. There's a supernatural influence, and the other influence that we see is a natural influence, meaning the false teachers. When Paul declares that uh, when he says in verse 2, through the insincerity of liars, when he says that they who have consciences that are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence, these are people who are deputized by de demons to bring false teaching into the church. So Satan has his preachers, is what you need to know. They are preachers for Satan like there are preachers for Jesus. Who are these guys? According to Acts 20, remember when Paul said to them, hey, be careful that wolves will arise from among you. Among these, he's named in 2 Timothy 1.15, he's named Philegius and Hermogenes, and those two guys were ashamed of the chains that Paul was bearing Remember, he was imprisoned for the gospel that he preached. You have Hymenaeus and Alexander who have shipwrecked their faith and they blasphemed. They blasphemed the name of the Lord. You have Philetus who was added to the list 
and there, it says of them that him and Hymenaeus and Philetus gets mentioned again, that he's irreverent, they're irreverent, they've swerved from the truth, and that they say that the resurrection has already happened. So they're dealing with Christian life, how you live your life, and they're dealing with or speaking falsely about what is going to happen in the future. By saying that the resurrection already happened is to undermine the hope that we have for the resurrection to actually happen. To say that the resurrection happened, happened already is to say that you guys have all been left behind. To say that you guys, we have no hope. If it already occurred, then those of you who are not resurrected or glorified, then you have nothing to look forward to because it already happened. It's a dangerous thing because the resurrection is what we hope for and what Jesus has taught us is that when he comes, if we are still here, we'll be transformed into glory and those who, according to 1 Thessalonians, who are dead, they're the ones who are going to rise first. So where are we in the matter did Jesus already come and the dead rise, right? Did the resurrection already happen so the dead arise? So why are, are we awaiting glorification, right? So if these are important things for, for them to understand and to know, and there's false teaching about that, giving false hopes or taking away hope. Uh, those are the dangers of false teachers. It says that they are insincere liars, with seared consciences. Now, though, to say that they're liars, many that I've read have not declared that the, they're intentionally going to deceive. That means that they know something that is false and intentionally tell you something that is false, right? There's that kind of deception. Deception that I know that what I'm saying is wrong but I'm gonna say it anyways because I'm going to manipulate you or use you in, in one way. The idea that we get here is that these guys actually believe these lies. So they are, they have, they are liars, but they have believed the lie to the point where the truth is muddled and now the, what is a lie is now the truth for them. Got it? It's like a, a switch or in our society, we'd call it our relativism, right? That, oh, that's truth for you, but this is truth for me. Let's, let's be okay that both these things are true. No, there are things that are true, and there are things that are false, and what is false cannot be true. Got it? So they are liars, insincere liars. They are also ones who bear the brand of Satan, they have consciences that have been seared. They have been branded to speak and to propagate what is of, what is a lie. So they have this going for them. I don't recommend you being seared in your conscience, right? In fact, every message that we should speak should come from love and a sincere and a pure conscience, Paul declared to Timothy 
Why, you, why, why should you preach? Why should you say the things that are saying? Why am I giving you these commands? They're out of love and out of a pure conscience. Like, I have your best in mind. Got it? But these guys, not so much. And what do they do? They propagate asceticism, which is abstaining from the enjoyable things of life to attain some sort of merited righteousness. They take marriage and say, the pleasure of marriage is not right, so you need to stop it. No more getting married, and if you're married, no more enjoying intercourse. You get that? Like that is so that you can be holy, so that you can be righteous, they forbid marriage. That's stupidity. As we know from Paul's command to the Corinthian church, he says, yo, man, if you are burning with passion, please get married. <laughs> please go and get yourself a wife and enjoy the wife of your youth. There's lots of scriptures that give you freedom to enjoy, uh, enjoy the pleasures of being married, both for husband and wife. And it should be a pleasurable experience. If it's not, then something's wrong, right? Should be great. So they forbid marriage and they forbid food. Jesus already taught us the matter of food. It's not what you put in your mouth that makes you clean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean, clean or unclean, right? It's not the food. Jesus said in Mark 7, it's not the washing of hands that makes it clean or makes you unclean or the lack of washing your hands. It's what already resides in there that comes out that makes you unclean. So Jesus said, uh, Mark says in Mark 7, that by saying those things, he declared all foods clean, right? Bring the bacon, bring whatever it is that was forbidden and enjoy it because it's good. And it says here about the food that it's made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So we have the departing from faith by spiritual influence or supernatural influence, the departing of faith by natural influence. Satan has his demons who propagate teachings and those demons and Satan have their teachers who propagate those teachings. But no departing does not happen unless there is a human choice to do so. Why do I say that? It's because he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves. To devote yourself is to heed to to give yourself over to, right? It is a choice that you make. Some do this by scouring all sorts of ways of teaching and they come to a conclusion. And let me just tell you, I highly respect those who dig in deep, who do their research and look to answer the questions that they have and who come to a conclusion that they can't believe this anymore. I respect that because it's not just a experience of like, I'm just not feeling it or somebody did something to me and that was wrong and I'm out. 
You get what I'm saying? It's, it's not a, a departing from the faith because of conflict or because of issues with people. It's departing of the faith because they have found it to be intellectually uh, not satisfying for them. And I respect that. And I don't wanna bash people that do that because honestly, that does no good for us to bash people who leave the faith. And because that, that only, I think people who bash others only do that to puff up their insecurities or hide their insecurities in the matter. You, you, get, you get it? And one of the things that, that is happening is because of the social media that we have and, and there are high profile people who are abandoning the faith, who are departing. And that is heartbreaking. And I look at that and I'm like, so are, what, what's happening? I, could, I feel like Paul would feel in the matter, like, oh man, these guys were people who inspired me, who spoke truth to me, who wrote books about the truth and helped me in different areas of my life, and now they've come to a place where they've left and abandoned their faith. And I don't know all the intricacies of how they got to where they are, but what I know is that this scripture reveals who are the influences. The scripture reveals that the influences are spiritual, the influences come from the natural world, meaning people, and that ultimately you make a choice whether you give yourself over to that or not. And of course, I am of the persuasion that Jesus is enough. That the revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ satisfies me. It is the answer to a lot of longing that I had. It is the answer to a lot of fear that I had. It is the answer to all the insecurity that I had. And this is true because there's evidence that he came, that he died, that he rose again from the dead. He is the living God, and I love him. So in preparing for this message, I had to read that Revelation passage to give me a transcendent view of who Jesus is that impacts me in my earthly life. He is the faithful witness. He tells me the truth. He testifies to what is true. Jesus himself is the truth. He is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. He reigns and he deserves my worship. So, I got some time. How do you ensure that you don't become one of the departed? How do you ensure that? You ensure it by abiding in Christ, by meditating on Christ, by enjoying relationship with Jesus. Don't just Diminish him to a set of precepts. Experience him. Know him. Love him. Know his love for you. The other way that you can ensure that you don't become one of the departed is submitting to him. James 4, 7 says, submit to God. 
And then in that same passage, he says, resist the devil and he will flee. Submitting to God, resisting the devil is a way to ensure that you are not one of the, the, of the departed. Now, some people might look at that and say, oh, you're just hiding behind the unseen world to uphold your, your, what you believe is to be true. And to that I say, absolutely. I am hiding behind that because there is a world that I don't see and that when I do see it, the powers of darkness, when I do see it, manifest itself, I don't like it. And when I see Jesus roll into the scene and deal with that power, those powers of darkness, I see his authority, I see his victory, I see his goodness, I see his reign and his righteousness and his, his justice. In every interaction against the powers of darkness, I wanna be part of that. Resist the devil. The other thing he is to do is to spiritually discern. Spiritual discernment is absolutely important. And what you and I need is the mind of Christ. I'm gonna read 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Remember, we need the voice of the Spirit, right? Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you look for understanding in the natural you will not understand Jesus. You can't just understand him in the natural. You must understand him in the spiritual. That's the impo an important aspect of that. How else do you ensure that you don't become one of the departed? Well, you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh so that your fleshly desires are not muddling your perspective of who God is. Amen? The other thing that we do is that we trust in and we enjoy the salvation that Jesus provides. We worship him and we also remember his great sacrifice for us. And so today, I want you and I to remember together what Jesus has done for us. 1 Corinthians 11. We're gonna read verses 23 and on. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus' death is absolutely stunning. Jesus' death in our place, a sacrifice for our sin, is a way that we celebrate the salvation that the Lord has brought to us. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.